And let's just acknowledge that for this moment anyway, we're safe and we're together. And so we can learn together, hopefully be comforted together. So just a little background for those who don't know me. I'm Berta. I'm the coordinator of our Hope for Mental Health ministry. And um, I have to admit, in early years, I was just kind of uncomfortable and embarrassed after the survey because the question always arose in my mind, now what? People are suffering. We had, you know, when we started the uh, ministry in 2017, we did... We had the intention of just normalizing the conversation and knowing some resources so we could help people as much as possible. And we've been doing that. And, um, oh, I probably should give you a little bit background. I've told my story up here a couple of times, but because I came into all this with some preconceived notions as well as being a new Christian. So I became a Christian in 2016. I was retired from a 30-year career as a mental health professional, and I've had a lifetime of struggling with mental health issues. So I definitely came in with some preconceived notions about the mental health system. I'm very opinionated about its problems <laughs> in terms of lack of quantity and quality, and I could go off on a rant, but I will spare you. Um, so when I came into this ministry, I knew nothing. I did not have any idea how faith and mental health went together. So it's been a learning process for me. Um, and so go forward just a little bit and we come to the pandemic. And my initial reaction just as a person was, oh, quarantine, social distance. I know how to do that because <laughs> I'm an introvert and I'm more than a bit of a hermit. So <laughs> at first it was relaxing, but... Then I got over myself a little bit and started thinking about ministry. And frankly, I was just frozen. I didn't know how to respond because it was already bad before the pandemic. And common sense told me that it was going to make it much worse. And indeed, it has. So I just sort of was in stop motion about what to do. But I did have the opportunity in my little hermitage to study. And I started looking at spiritual formation and discovering that there are a lot of people out there that have been putting together faith and mental health. And so that was a great relief to me. It just it made me feel really hopeful. So I set about studying and learning. And somewhere in the process, um, God very kindly brought it to my attention that I have some flaws. I'm not a leader. I don't have administrative gifts. I'm a research nerd, so <laughs> give me a problem, mental health problem to dig into and try, and try and help people find some root causes and things to do. I'm just very happy. Um, so I, I took hold of that notion and I started studying leadership and speaking. Oh, and I also discovered that I have resting frown face. So when I'm not laughing, I may look actually way more stern and judgmental than I am. So <laughs> I just ask you to give that some grace if you happen to notice. Um, so in that process of, of learning, um, I read a book by a fellow named Simon Sinek, and that's S-I-N-E-K, not C-Y-N-I-C. -I -I and he wrote a book called Start With Why. And the basic theory is that any endeavor you have 
uh, that's important, that is in response to a just cause, needs to have a dream, a big dream, one that you're not going to accomplish in your lifetime, but it's what gets you up in the morning, it's what wakes you up at night, because that particular just cause tugs at your heart. So my dream is that the vast majority of people wake up in the morning with emotional peace and confident that they have community and access to counseling and cutting-edge medical treatment when they need it. And maybe the biggest part of this dream is that it's common knowledge that the church, the body of Christ, is the place to go for foundational mental health education and support. So having articulated that dream, I... Well, actually, I want to back up and just give you a couple of definitions just so that we're kind of on the same page. First is that emotional peace does not mean you don't have uncomfortable feelings. It means that you have some confidence that you can understand them and know how to manage them in a responsible way. And what I mean about Um, counseling is that, well, I guess I want to emphasize about counseling that it's not just for emergencies. It's not just for people with severe conditions. It's about healing, regardless of what you're struggling with or how long you've been struggling with it. A big portion of it is education, just understanding what are these feelings and how do I handle them and where do they come from and, and developing some skills. So if you have any thought that counseling just means lying around venting or spewing endlessly... That's been gone a long time. So the cutting edge, and this is where I'm like super opinionated because one of the things I did during the pandemic is study brain health and that whole approach to mental illness. Uh, What I mean by it is that it just incorporates modern technology, the same as if you have a cardiac condition or if you have cancer. There's been so much research done and so it's gotten really amazing in how individualized treatment can be because of it. And there is a cutting edge that does do that with mental illness, but we're still sort of in the dark ages um, when diagnosis and treatment are just based on symptoms and that haven't looked at what's really going on that's that's, um, happening to that person, whether it's biological, whether it's psychological or spiritual. There's a lot to consider. So... So the reason that I believe that the church can play a significant role in reducing suffering in this particular area is that I've, as I've grown as a Christian, and, as, and especially in this last year when I've really gotten, finally gotten a better sense of God's character, I've come to believe three things. One is that God is the ultimate therapist. Two, Scripture holds his treatment plan. And three, we, the body of Christ, are commissioned to be his helpers. So I'll back up a little more and tell you how I came to to that conclusion. Part of it is that in understanding more about God's character, I have learned that he really is compassionate and merciful. And he gives us time to learn and grow and process in all areas of our life. And when we give our hearts to Jesus, we get the Holy Spirit within us to counsel and guide. 
including guiding us to resources, whether that's a class or a mentor or a church. Or, you know, there's so many. There are a lot of resources out there. Um, so that is how I, I came to believe those three things. And I was especially struck as a new Christian by, um, by scripture that repeated something from the Old Testament, which is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when I first read that in the Gospels as a new Christian, I was kind of like, are you kidding, God? <laughs> You're asking a lot of, I don't have that capacity. I don't know that I've ever honestly loved anything in my life with all that I am. Maybe puppies. So, it was a lot to absorb, and I've kind of held that in my mind as I've gone through my learning process as a Christian. And so, as Scott said, throughout Scripture, we are told to pour out our hearts to him, to trust. He knows everything anyway, but there's a learning process that needs to happen, especially in this crazy world we're living in today. And um, so it is super helpful that God came down as Jesus and gave us a model. We see in his early ministry that he went to a Jewish wedding. And if you've ever been to one, you know that there's wine and there's dancing and there's laughter and fun. So we knew Jesus knew how to do that. We know that Jesus wept when he uh, found out that his friend Lazarus had died. He wept with his sisters. He asked them to take him to the tomb. And then scripture tells us that he, once again, he was deeply moved. We know that he got angry. He uh, got angry at the money changers in the temple, and he overturned tables and chased them out. And his anger, interestingly enough, his anger is, you know, is very strategic. It wasn't just a petty, you cut me off in traffic kind of thing. It was in service of a just cause. And the most poignant of all is in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was facing his crucifixion. Scripture tells us that an angel came to strengthen him in his agony and that his sweat rained onto the ground. And I believe there wasn't just sweat, that there was tears, that he was sobbing, because that's what human beings do when they're in agony. He knew what he was facing. And he knew he'd be res resurrected, but he had to go through it. He knew he was going to have this horrible, beyond-imagining experience. What also is interesting to me is that Jesus never apologized. He never apologized for how he felt. He just felt. So there's a model. It might be helpful for you to think of your emotions. If you've been struggling with them, because let's face it, they're inconvenient sometimes, and they're uncomfortable, and certainly there's times when I'd rather eat a pint of Haagen-Dazs coffee ice cream than deal with my feelings, but I've come to recognize that they're, kind of, they're like a check engine light in your car. You know that something is going on that's worth exploring. According to the car manual, it's probably time, it seems like it's time to get hysterical, but the last time that happened to me, it was just that my gas cap was loose. So, so anyways, we need to stop fighting with our emotions. 
And luckily, God has given us the most amazing model for how to do that. So, I'm aware of the time. Oh my goodness, and this time I think it's accurate. So just Jesus also modeled listening. Um, it's clear in the Bible that God wants us to listen to him and that he listens to us endlessly and that he wants us to listen to each other. And one example of that is uh, with a blind man, Bartimaeus, who heard of Jesus and came to see him and uh, Jesus asked him what it was that he wanted. And he listened, because that's important. That lets somebody ask, which is really important. It lets them process. And Bartimaeus asked, said, I want to see. And then his faith healed him. And Jesus does that a lot, though. It's not as noticeable as all the red letters that, that capture what he said. So he held space which is something that we can all do. And in fact, this, this week I had two beautiful examples of believers who did that, that were praying over people, and those people started crying and shaking and wailing. And that person, in their faith, was able to just sit with them. Just sit with them and let them be. <sighs> that just encourages me and makes me really happy. So I guess what I'm getting to is that we are called and already have some experience as believers to share the foundations, the ABCs of mental health. It's built into scripture. It's built into our faith. And it's something that we can do. I've learned that faith and mental health are inextricable. Those particular believers were not trained therapists. They just had a deep belief in God's calling to pray and be with each other. So my big ask is that we consider leveling up the ministry and providing Christ-centered mental health education. And... Part of what's enabled me to, to ask that is that there are now amazing resources available. There's a particular ministry called Share the Struggle. They have developed courses that are Christ-centered that not only cover some of the basic struggles we all face, like anxiety and uh, loss of a loved one, trauma, but they provide a course for helpers. So... We can all level up our helping and our listening skills, uh, and that course does provide that. Though if you've facilitated Rooted or another Bible study or your neighborhood book group, uh, and you know how to herd cats and make sure everybody <laughs> gets their turn, these courses are set up to make it easy to do that. Video, workbooks, structured questions, all those kinds of things that a lot of you are familiar with. So in the next few weeks, I'm going to be sending out an email so don't ignore your emails, I know you do sometimes, and telling you more about Share the Struggle and some other Christ-centered resources that we should consider using, that I want you to consider using. And then in January, I'm going to be sending out a survey uh, to see what the body of Christ is thinking about what you would like, and certainly also to see if you'd like to be part of a team, because 
what can I say? <laughs> I'm not a leader. I don't have administrative gifts. I'm an introvert. I need help. And ministry is a, it's a team sport. Uh, so let's see. So I'm going to wrap up because I see the clock is ticking. <sighs> so today, if you know somebody who's struggling, take a deep breath, pray, and just listen. Just hold space for them. Trust that you don't have to fix it and that God will help the next steps emerge. And if you are struggling today and you don't have somebody safe to talk to, please see me after the service. Ignore the resting frown face and trust that uh, I want to listen to you. And certainly you can contact through a Connect card. Uh, you can go to the mental health page on our website uh, and find my email address. Goodness gracious. So I'm just so glad. I am grateful that we've been here together today to look at uncomfortable stuff. But I am so excited about how much hope there is that we can alleviate suffering in ourselves and in the community. 